Okie, hello there and welcome to the Fox Den. Nistu Anagok Biksipidaki. I am Andrea Truejoy Fox, your host for Talks with a Fox. I'm happy you have joined me on this colorful adventure of self-discovery and lifelong learning. Throughout my journey, I have met some amazing human beings who are living inspirational and intentional lives as they fulfill their purpose and share their gifts with the world. I am excited to share these conversations with you, as well as some stories from my life as a Blackfoot woman, Nitsitabiaki, and as a teacher and artist who is navigating through this exciting and beautiful world we live in, challenges and all. So grab a tea or coffee and get ready to feel inspired as you reflect on your own exciting journey and your connection to the world. We are in this together and there is so much for us to learn and share. Let's do this. I just want to thank you for following this wonderful journey and for connecting with Talks with a Fox on all of our social media and liking and commenting on our page. We appreciate all the inquiries that we have received regarding how you can further support Talks with a Fox podcast. So we have gone ahead and set up a Patreon account where you can subscribe and support the podcast. Feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Talks with a Fox podcast. There's also a link to the Patreon page on our Buzzsprout page where you can donate the amount of your choosing. It means so much to me that you are on this journey with us. I have a very special guest here who is an award-winning Indigenous writer, artist, and educator. She is a graduate of the UBC Creative Writing MFA program, and her work was long-listed for the 2018 Edna Stabler Personal Essay. She has also won several other awards. And she has a new book that is out. And I just have to say how much I love this book. I just recently picked it up and it's already marked up, which usually means it's a very good read for me because I can't put it down. And I bookmarked several items in there that we're going to discuss today. With that said, I am so happy and excited to introduce my friend and colleague, Francine Cunningham. Good morning, Hi. Francine. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I am doing wonderful. It's a great day. I'm it is a beautiful day. day. It is. Yes. Blue sky. What more do you need? <laughs> exactly. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming on to the show. Um, I know you have been busy as usual, you know, with your writing as well as creating your ever so beautiful designs, uh, your jewelry, which I most recently made a purchase last month. And I have to say those are my most recent favorite earrings, (laughs) parapeted earrings. I love them. Thank you. That's amazing. I love hearing that. Um, I love beading. It's so fun. Uh, it's It's one of the things I do in the evening to wind down for the day. (laughs) 
Wow. That's, that is a beautiful way to just, yeah, wrap up your day and relax. And I'm sure it's also very therapeutic. (laughs) Oh yeah. My, uh, my cooking was a beater. And so she, she taught me and then she always used to say like, it's your time where you can just like, let go of the world. You can let go of like any family problems, like anything is all you have to do is focus on just like laying down the next feed and that's it. And your world becomes nice and small. (laughs) Yeah. So grandmothers always know what they're talking about and that wisdom that they share with us. We just, we hang, hang on to tightly. Yeah, we do. And she's right. Okay, so a little backstory here for our lovely listeners. You and I met uh, back in February of 2020. So, wow, time is, has gone by because it's already <laughs> August. <laughs> yeah, it feels just like a few months ago, but uh, I guess it's been closer to six now. Oh, my more. gosh. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> back when, when I the think world of- was still open. Yes. <laughs> If only we knew what was going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. so, yeah, so we met at the Bounce Center at one of their media arts residencies. And I remember just how much you lit up the room with your smile, your beautiful smile and your warm, friendly demeanor. And you were very welcoming to everyone. and. Uh, we had some wonderful conversations and so that's yeah. that is why I'm just so happy we've been able to stay in touch and we've had a couple of zoom calls and yeah. um it's been great and yeah I, I'm just so excited to talk to you today and um yeah. hear some thoughts on you know your book on me which is yeah. a compilation of poetry um mm-hmm. beautiful poems beautiful uh, stories intertwined in here and there's so much richness. Um, but before I get into that, mm-hmm. I just want to ask you, um, where did it all begin for you for Francine? I know you're <laughs> Métis and Cree and you were raised in Alberta with, with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, I was raised in Calgary and Edmonton. Um, and, uh, my family, so on my mother's side, they come from the Saddle Lake Reserve, which is in Alberta. And then my dad, he's Métis, and his family sort of comes from the Slave Lake area. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's sort of like where I was born. But in terms of my like art career uh, or my life as an artist, uh, I started out always knowing that I really wanted to be an artist. I was never really interested in anything else um, in school. Like that just nothing really did it for me. And the only school I ever got, like, or the only classes I ever got 100% in were the art classes. I struggled really hard through high school. Um, I never actually made it past grade nine math or science. I just couldn't do it. Um, But I spent all of high school focusing on creating a portfolio because I really thought that my life was going to be in the visual arts. I was going to be a painter. Um, That's sort of the thing I really wanted to do. But then when I graduated from high school, I decided to take a year off to sort of really make sure that's what I wanted. Um, And in that year, I actually found theater 
And um, because I spent a lot of my time just in the public library, just reading everything I could. And I came across the like play section, which I'd never really read plays before, except for just a few Shakespeare's in high school. And um, I read this play by Faust and um, I was like, oh my God. And so I like immediately went on the internet and I was like, how to become an actor? And uh, they said, the best thing to do is go to theater school. So a few months later, I auditioned for theater school and I think they had like five people, 500 people audition and they let 12 of us in. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'm actually good at this, even though I'd never done it before. And so then I did two years of theater school. And um, when I went, moved to Vancouver to do my Bachelor of Arts, uh, I did it in theater. But during that Bachelor of Arts, I started to take a lot of writing classes because writing was also something I'd done my whole life. But I didn't think that it was like the the thing I was most precious about and the thing I was most afraid to share with people, um, which in hindsight means it was the thing I was most supposed to do. And um, so (laughs) I took some writing classes and when I finally showed, I remember the first class it was, I took this class, it was called Writing with uh, an Indigenous Focus and it was all Indigenous people around the table and it was run by Richard Van Camp, the writer. Wow. Yeah, it was my first time like sitting at a writing table and, and I remember I was so nervous and I showed them my poems and everybody at the table was just so supportive that it really made me feel like, oh my gosh, like, no, I can actually do the thing that I secretly have always wanted to do. And so I uh, graduated from my BA and then I sort of moved into an MFA and I spent four years really working on craft, like craft and how to actually um, make a story work and on both the broad level and the sentence level. And and I worked with some really amazing mentors and some really amazing writers. And then um, I graduated five years ago. And uh, since then, I've just been working as a professional artist. And I've since been able to sort of bring back my visual art element of my life. Um, I've let go of the theater part, but uh, I'm now just do visual art, creative writing, and then teaching because I've always loved to teach. Mm-hmm. Okay. So isn't that how it works? I just want to go back to what you said when, you know, you thought life would take you this way and then lo and behold, here we are a few book awards <laughs> later. And, um, but isn't, does, it doesn't life work that way, you know, where we, yeah. you know, but we have a plan or an idea of what we want to do. And, you know, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it works out perfect in the sense of our plan, but most often, you know, it's full of some surprises and um, just following your career here, you have accomplished so much already. And it's beautiful that you were able to really tap into that gift of yours through the literary arts and to have, you know, a mentor like Richard Van Camp and be around other Indigenous writers. How do you feel that? How do you feel, how important is it for Indigenous artists to work amongst their peers or to have that mentorship from their peers? Oh, it's the most important. I mean, when I was doing my MFA, I was the only, <clears throat> I was the only Indigenous person in my cohort um, for the like 
because they let in a different cohort every year and you sort of are with those people for your four years. So I think I was the only one in my year and this, the stuff I was writing for them, it, it was almost like I had to separate my writing. And so I was like writing for, it's going to sound terrible, but writing for like a white audience, you know, mm-hmm. and then keeping the other stuff for myself, anything that sort of dealt with my own indigenous identity, because I just felt like nobody would understand in that group. And after having had three years of sitting around a table with a bunch of Indigenous writers where I could share anything, it was just a little bit different where I just sort of had to separate that self myself for those years. And then I went to the BAM Center uh, for an Indigenous writing studio, and we worked with Richard Wagamese before he passed. And oh my gosh, that guy was probably the most natural storyteller I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I would say one in a million. And he really just opened up that part again for me and sitting around again in a room with a bunch of Indigenous writers just really, really helped me like hold on to why I'm doing this. And then since then, I've made sure that that's a huge part of my writing practice and is to be able to connect with my own community and make sure that my writing is sort of serving my own community. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important. And especially to have those mentorships. I mean, like Eden Robinson kindly was the second, um, second reader on my thesis. So she sort of signed off on it and said I was able to graduate because you need two people to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So having her wisdom come on to my, my thesis project was incredible. And just, I was, I've, I've just been very blessed to be able to have some of these incredible writers sort of mentor mentored their early beginnings of my career. That is so beautiful and such important, such an important part of the process of getting started. And like you had said, as an Indigenous artist, um, there, as we know, there are many barriers and challenges that we face as artists, and then you add in being Indigenous. But I see you just navigating so gracefully and thriving, and you are now mentoring other young artists. I see the work that you have been doing with the youth. I'm, I've heard the, the stories from you on when we visited back in February in Banff, but I've also seen your work on your webpage as well. Um, can you tell me about that process, connecting with the youth? I mean, you it's my understanding you go into the different communities and you yeah. participate in different artist residencies. Yeah, it's... It's like the number one joy of my life, I would say, outside of writing is being able to teach and especially being able to teach in community. It is amazing. Um, I started I started working with youth um, probably around over 10 years ago before when I was still in school. Uh, I was working with a lot of urban Indigenous youth. Um, and at that time, it was really great for me because that's how I was raised. I was raised urban. And so... I had a lot of connection with these youth. Um, I found sitting around, ta- no matter how many tables I sat around with the, with the different cohorts of youth, it was always sort of the same themes would come out over and over and over again, um, which is one reason why I wrote this book in particular. But it, a lot of the themes were of like feeling isolated, feeling alienated from their identity, feeling like they didn't belong, just a lot of pain, a lot of shame for not speaking their language for just 
not having what the broader Canadian society would consider like the indigenous experience. You know, they, they grew up in the city instead of the res and just, just feeling a lot of feelings about that. And I know those feelings because I also experienced those exact feelings. So it, it really helped me uh, to sit around with those youth and um, to help them express what they needed to express and let them know that everything that they felt and was valid and the best thing for them to do is to write about it and to talk about it with each other to know that they are not alone that they actually have a huge community um, and so one of the reasons I, I wrote this book was for youth um, and because even when I go into community um, and I'm and I'm sitting around with kids who have been raised in tradition and culture and, and are surrounded by their language all the time or even speak it they still they still have a lot of the same feelings of like lost identity of not knowing who they are of not mm-hmm. feeling good enough or not feeling like Indian enough or whatever and so I still find that those same sentiments are are there and so I really just feel like whatever I can do to help help them express that and sort of get that out outside of them um, is, I don't know, it's just, it's what I can do on this earth. And um, I always feel like we all have different roles and not all of our roles are the same. And so for me personally, I have a lot of social anxiety. So I, I can't be one of the people who go to the rallies and stand on the front line and be surrounded by all those crowds. That's not my place, but my, my place is sitting around with a group of 12 or 15 kids and really just helping them talk through what they're feeling. And so just really coming to terms with like what my role is in, in our world (laughs) and also being able to write books for them. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just, you articulated it so well because I think sometimes we get caught up, you know, in the sense of, you know, as Indigenous artists and leaders, you know, we get caught up in the feeling of, you know, well, I need to be out here doing this, or this is how my leadership or my contribution to my community should look. But really, I I love that you have tapped into what works best for you. And not only that, but you're drawing from your gifts. And that's how you are giving back to the communities and, and putting forward that activism you know activism can look like so many things that it's not necessarily protesting you know it's it's simply even just living and existing as indigenous people because we have been through a lot and we have survived a lot and not only surviving but thriving you know I love to see our people thrive and you are doing so many wonderful things and you know there's so much ahead for you I I can't wait to see what you do next. Um, but I want to go back to how you mentioned this book, you know, and, and uh-huh. the connection to the youth. I just love in your acknowledgments. Those are one of my favorite parts to read in when somebody has written a book or, you know, I love to see who was there in their process. I love hearing about it in their acknowledgments. And you so beautifully articulate that. I'm just going to quote it if you're okay with that. Yeah, for sure. To any Indigenous youth out there who may be reading this, you matter, and these words are for you. 
I hope that if you're struggling, you'll do the same and try writing about all that you're feeling. Writing always helps. And you're so right. You're so, you know, writing is so healing and therapeutic. And I hear and see that in your work. Um, I mean, I'm looking at your, as I was reading your book, there's so many incredible, deeply profounding themes that are so beautifully interwoven here. Um, I mean, you're talking about some very personal, but also some very important topics and things that we as human beings sometimes struggle with or endure and also celebrate. Um, So a few themes that have jumped out are grief. You know, we have lost so many people in our communities and our families. And I love how you express that in here. Um, There's one where you're talking about your mom and, Mm -hmm. you know, the process of her, her moving into the next world. Um, But that process, you, the pain that you felt and, Yet it's so beautiful the way you write about it and express yourself. Yeah, that was definitely like after my mom passed, I was filled with, well, I mean, if you've read the book, I I was filled with a lot of like rage right at the beginning because of the failure of our medical system and how it treats Indigenous people. And uh, I feel like that was a huge contributing factor. And so I was felt mm-hmm. I was filled with a lot of rage for a while. It took me about a year to be able to actually write about it until I could mm-hmm. sort of like settle those feelings. I spent about a year writing to her before I could even write poems about about it. Um, so I wrote letters to her, and that sort of like helped bring me through that the initial grief process. So um, yeah, again, writing helps. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, my condolences to you, my heart goes out to you, Francine, for the loss of your mom. Um, You know, I, I'm sorry to, you know, hear about that and read about it through here. Um, And you are such a strong, powerful woman. And it's amazing that you're able to pull from that pain and um, manifest it into something healing and beautiful. And I know that others who have read your book and who will be reading your book, they will be able to have find their own connections and their own way of reflection on how they are working through their grief. Um, And so thank you for sharing that, you know, that's personal and powerful. I didn't, quite realize at the time of writing this book about how personal it actually was it it didn't hit me until about a month after I published it actually that um I I was struck with a moment of panic where, where I realized oh my gosh I shared so much of myself with the world and you can't and once you share yourself you can't take it back right <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I was like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to know everything about me and they're going to judge me. And I just. So you had very great, gracefully, I, I love the way you grace, you talk about grief in a very graceful and yet truthful way. And, you know, I mean, you had shared once it's out there, once you're putting it out there about yourself, it's out there to the world. How do you work with that? How, how do you feel about that? you know, because you ultimately are 
sharing very deep and personal parts of yourself with with people. Yeah. Um, so, like I I might have mentioned, it it was scary, really scary at first, and um, I went into like a hibernation from the world, like kind of off social media and stuff for a few months after my book came out. When I sort of had that realization, but then the messages started to come in from people um, about how much my book meant to them and how much specific poems meant to them. And, and that sort of like, sort of brought me out of that and just reminded me of my purpose and uh, what, why I do what, what I'm doing. And it, but it, it was also a very good lesson for the future. Um, so for future books that I come out, I now have more of like the actual reality of what publishing is. I, I don't know. And I think also because I'm older now, I was a little, I was younger when I wrote this book. Um, so I think just with like age, um, I just realized some, some realities of the world. And uh, so, you know, some of my other books, I may decide to keep some stuff for myself, which I think is also very important. That's beautiful. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're you're hearing when you hear people, you know, telling their life stories, or when I've heard people share their stories. Um, I've always thought in the back of my mind, you know, it's it's great if we can also keep parts of ourselves for ourselves. And I just love how you articulated that. Um, and then you have your 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 family as well is that is that something that you consider when you're writing because you're you know you have your your family your father um <laughs> you have a sister is that right I have a couple sisters yeah a couple sisters yes so are you think are you thinking of them when you're also writing like okay if I write this how do how do I think they'll respond or will or or do you just write and then think of those things after? Uh, well, I, I just, when it's for me, when I'm just doing it on my own computer or whatever, I just write. I just don't censor myself. I just let it all out. But then when it comes to thinking about what I'm going to share with the world, uh, yeah, I consult them, especially if they're, if they're, if they come up in the poem or if it's a theme about our past or something. Um, but I mean, I've gotten a, like, I've had conversations with my dad, with my sisters, with my grandmother and they've all said the same thing. Like it's your truth. It's your story. It's um, your perception or your lived experience of what, of what happened. And so that is totally valid. And if it differs from our perception, our things, then we can write about and tell our side of it if we feel like it. Um, but just basically like telling me just to write what I feel is correct and true and not to worry about them. <laughs> How incredible is that? I mean, that's, I would think that's a healing process for you as a family in itself, where you are talking about things or, you know, maybe through your writing, it's sparking these very thoughtful conversations and connections with your immediate family. Yeah. Um, I believe that in our, our communities, that's where we are looking at our healing processes is through talking about things in our families, you know, so we can heal from things that have happened and, 
moved forward together through that and feel the pain sometimes together and talk about those uncomfortable things or things that maybe have been buried beneath the surface for so long. And I think you just sharing this is going to be very insightful for our listeners too, who are on that, their own healing journey and with their families. Yeah. And I think when it, when you comes to conversations like that, the most important thing you got to remember is no one has to be right. There is no right. Um, and there is no wrong, right? Because everybody perceives the situation differently. And so you cannot get angry at someone else for perceiving the situation you're both in um, from their life experience, right? Because you bring everything you've gone through, you bring with it into that moment. And it's not what anybody else in that circle or whoever you're talking with has gone through. So it's just I think that um, just getting away from the idea that someone has to be right and it has to be you, um, that that helps open it up, the conversation. Well, I just think that the way you explain that is very telling of who you are as a woman and as a as an artist um, and as an educator, it's your whole approach to things. And I remember feeling that way when I did myself and then other artists in the residency where we met in February, where you were very nurturing and you guided us through a writing exercise and um, you were confident in the way you taught and you were open to our ideas and our curiosities. And, you know, I believe that's, that's a gift that you have. And, I'm just, it makes me feel really great as a fellow teacher here, knowing that you are sharing that gift with people and especially our youth. Um, You've done some amazing work with our youth. Um, What are some things that you would tell them to help prepare them for life after high school, you know, because (laughs) you had that university or, Mm -hmm. you know, after life after high school experience, you know, whether they go on to university, college or trades or just moving out of their house with their family and growing up, (laughs) what are some, some wisdom, words of wisdom you have shared or would share with them? I would say, um, take it slow. Uh, you don't, have to rush. Uh, I feel like if you rush, you might make the wrong decision. Um, I decided to take a year off and that was the best thing for me to do to really, really think about it because especially when it comes to something like if you're deciding to go to a school or a trade or whatever, that's, you're putting in, you're making an agreement to put in a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of your life towards that. And it should be what you actually want to do. And it shouldn't be something that you feel rushed to do. Um, and it shouldn't be something that you feel obliged to do. It's your life and you shouldn't let other people dictate it. Um, so I would say (laughs) to slow down a little bit and take some time to really consider what you want to do and also know that it can change and that's okay. And it probably will change. Um, but just to never feel, I don't know, committed, I guess you should say like, (laughs) committed to something that doesn't feel right. If it really doesn't feel right, then, then just, just stop doing it. Um, I mean, I would say that for anybody of any age, even if you're in your fifties and you've had a job forever and it's made you feel really bad (laughs) for a really long time. Um, just because you've put in so many years doesn't mean you're stuck there. You, You can change if you want to. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. Does that, is that good? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, Francine, where were you when I was 17? You know, (laughs) I, I graduated from high school at 17. I was not ready for the world, Yeah, (laughs) you know, um, and my plans originally were to go into university. I had a, the five-year plan and yeah. talked it over with my parents. And of course, they supported me. But when it came down to it, I, I just wasn't ready. I yeah. was, you know, I always felt like I was a year younger than my peers and still and trying to play catch up with them. And so then I went to college and that was quite an adventure in itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but yeah, I my parents gave me that space to just figure things out as I went along the way. And I I love how you talk about not having to, you know, if you commit to something, but you know, life happens and, or we discover ourselves and we find out, you know what, this just isn't working for me anymore, or this really isn't what I feel passionate about. And I think we need to give our young people more of that empowerment so they can give themselves that permission, if anything you know, to say, this isn't working for me, or this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, I think that even comes along with relationships, you know, being in unhealthy relationships or oh, yeah. um, being in unhealthy situations. Yeah. Unhealthy friendships too. I think that's something that really doesn't get talked about a lot, uh, especially with youth in high school and, and stuff just like, just as much as you can have an abusive, uh, romantic relationship you can have abusive friendship and oftentimes I feel like friendships are deeper and longer and they just last they just last longer than romantic relationships you know you can have a friend who's your friend for 30 40 years um or maybe you're only with a guy or a girl for you know five (laughs) so but but also just recognizing yeah you you can have friendships that um that maybe need to, to fall away and that's okay also. Well, you really do have the ability to support young people in their um, their thought processes and the way they're coming to understand the world around them. Um, I also wanted to, I okay, so now switching gears a little mm-hmm. bit here, I wanted to talk about your uh, teaching experience now working with adults and mm-hmm. you've been faculty at different, uh, in different art programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, <laughs> without knowing who you were, you know, we all didn't know who each other was when we went into our residency. And the first day I remember we were sitting in a circle and, um, you know, everyone was sitting there and, you know, the faculty are talking and then they're going, getting ready for us to go around and introduce ourselves and, you know, basically state if we were an artist or if we were faculty. And I remember just looking around the room and kind of trying to play the guessing game. Okay. This person is probably an artist and this person I think is faculty and you, I thought you were faculty. You know, um, yeah, just, but I mean, I mean that in, you know, in such a a wonderful complimentary way, like just the way you carry yourself and, you know, like I said, you have that nurturing ability, which for me in my eyes as a teacher, every teacher, every person who decides to go into any teaching 
work needs to be a nurturer because you are ultimately taking care of people in your care, yeah. whether they're adults or, or children. So yeah. anyways, I just wanted to share that little tidbit <laughs> with you there. Probably <laughs> because I've been on, I've done so many residencies at the BAM Center. <laughs> I feel very like comfortable there. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So you've been faculty. Tell me about your your experiences teaching and working with adults. Oh man, it is it is both similar and completely different than working with youth, and I absolutely love it. Um, I've worked in with adult ed programs, so um, typically with adults who are upgrading from high school into sort of like wanting to get their GEDs uh, who, who never had the chance to graduate high school when they were youth. And so getting to work with them, it's just, it's so different because the conversations we have are much different uh, as a group. And we can have like these very deep conversations where they're teaching me a ton because they have a lot of times way more life experience than I do. And so the stories that they're sharing are just, so funny and rich and just filled with like a lot of knowledge that I really enjoy. And, um, I find it's sort of strange, but working. So when I work with youth on teaching like a lot of their writing tends to be more fantastical and much more like dystopian or sci-fi or fantasy. But when I work with adults, a lot of their stories, they just want to like tell their own story and their own life experience or, talk about some of their family members that have passed on or some stories they heard when they were kids. And it's much more like grounded in the real. Uh, So that's like a huge difference that I noticed. And I love either or they're both great. Um, But I have had experience also with working with elders, which is just such a gift, Uh, but helping them sort of tell their stories and record their stories. And, and I sort of guide, I sort of walk through different writing exercises, which I find are very helpful. Like, almost like guided meditation, but like guided writing prompts. And cause I find like a lot of people are like auditory. So if I hand just pe- like a classroom, a handout, that's like paragraphs. It's like, okay, write about this, write about that. That's just not as stimulating or as accessible uh, as if um, instead, like I like to, to be, we sort of sit in a circle and I like to actually like guide them step by step with my voice. So like, look around the room and describe what you're doing here and what was the sound that was happening. So just like more, um, yeah, walking them through a little bit differently. So I find that works for both youth and adults, but adults seem to get a lot out of it. And um, the thing I, I realized about adults is a lot of times they don't have the the time or the, um, the ability or not the ability, the, um, the time or almost like the permission. I find like adults need permission to be creative a lot of the time. Um, like they feel like it's not serious enough, like it's not work. So they need to be focusing on work. And, and you know, being creative is just something that people do when they have a lot of time. But so I find like just me, the active me sitting in that room, giving them permission to be creative sort of like opens them up in a way. And I find like a lot of times there's like, an emotional, like cathartic release. Um, and a lot of my workshops with adults sort of end with some people just like letting go of some tears and sort of letting go of some things that have been bottled up for a long time. And, and, um, so that's sort of a cool thing about working with adults. Yeah. 
That's very interesting how you talk about the way student learners and adult learners, you know, the commonalities and then the differences. And I can relate to having taught youth and adults. Um, and I really, I 100% support you on that guided writing. I, when I experienced that with you, I found it to be very interactive. I felt yeah, like you didn't just, okay, here's your writing exercise. Now go into a corner and write, <laughs> you know, pull out some deep stuff or profound things. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but instead you, you guided us through it, me and Ellie. And it was really special, a special moment that we shared, the three of us. And I liked how you also, you gave us enough time to write and then you pulled us a little bit back in and we had time to kind of stop for a moment and then start again. Um, and then I, I like how you talk. I, I find it really important that you do talk about the, the way adults, we tend to, yes, we get stuck. We get really caught up in that, you know, well, basically what am I doing with my time? You know, yeah. is this a value to my time? And is this, you know, Am I doing something with my time that is of value and is responsible and, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise I should be doing this and that guilt or that not living in the present and you with your guided writing exercises, you allow other, you allow the adults to feel present and to remain connected and you do it in a very nurturing way that allows us to also feel as writers that we are community we are part yeah. of community you know it's not that isolated experience and especially as indigenous people we're very it's just in us to want to feel connected to each other and not have those isolated experiences and in this case with writing I also think that's so incredible and so essential to allowing ourselves to bring out our most meaningful work yeah I would totally agree um yeah and I also think like time for a lot of adults has been like commodified and has turned into like a currency which is just really sad and it's just like a reflection of the state of like our capitalist world really but when you get to a point where your time is money and you know that saying people always say that like time is money time is money and and I just feel like that that's what put that's what brings in the guilt and that's what like well I can't take this 10 minutes even to just like explore this fantasy world in my imagination whether or not you're writing it you could just be sitting on the couch and just closing your eyes for 10 minutes but you know because then you think well how is this going to make me money you know and I just feel like mm. that's such a sad state of our world um time is not money <laughs> <laughs> uh, like time doesn't even exist really so yeah yeah <laughs> wow I'm always just intrigued listening to you and you know you get my imagination going and <laughs> and you know that's one of my philosophies as a teacher is you know we need to remember to play mm -hmm. while we are you know busy supporting that in young learners we also need to rem remember that as well and writing is such a beautiful avenue to bringing back our inner child and allowing our imagination to thrive yeah like I love just sitting down with my nieces and nephews and just like 
not not just like not writing it, but just like crafting these like worlds, like world building, you know, just out loud. Just be like, okay, well, there's like a mountain over there. All right, well, there's a dragon over here, and the and the dragon has this type of power. Oh my gosh, what, where's the dragon's friends? And then just like creating a story. And I feel like that's so intuitive to kids, and they just do that constantly. And I just I love to to do that all the time with them. Like it it stimulates me. It makes me excited, and and I have fun. And, and it just reminds me <laughs> of how much like I used to love doing that. I did that all the time as a kid, and and I mean. You don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to like commodify your storytelling either. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, you don't have to be like, Oh, I have to get this down so I can sell it. Like <laughs> it, it can just, it, it can just exist for joy reasons. <laughs> yes. Wow. I love that for simply for joy. Yeah. Yeah. I think if more adults did that or thought that way, the world really would be a different place. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but in the meantime, for those of us out there, and there are many other wonderful, um, imaginative, creative adults out there who are allowing this world to also remain beautiful. And, you know, I, I like to look at it that way as well. And hopefully helping those who are caught up in the rat race, if you will, yeah. of time is money yeah. <laughs> to to think of it as something else, yeah. as really simply experiences. We are really human beings. Yeah having experiences that thread interweave to the next experience. And that, yeah. that is our story. That is, I, I, when I, I wrote, um, so my second collection, it's a short story collection. Um, that's going to be coming out in a couple well, the pandemic has sort of pushed all publishing dead our publishing things dates. So it's good. Mm-hmm. It's like on a to be decided, but probably in a year and a half or so. But so it's my short story collection. And in that, the whole collection, I sort of thought about um, the idea of like, what do we take with us when we leave? Mm. So uh, and just thinking about like, well, what is it? And to me, I re- it really came down to our choices, um, which then feed into our experiences. So like what the choices that we make on this earth are the kind of the only thing we can take with us. Like we can't take our loved ones. We can't take our money. We can't take anything we bought. We can't take time. We can't take anything. Um, but I just feel like the choices we make and the experiences those lead to, that, that's all we can really take, whatever lives in our brain, right? Um, and so that collection, I really wanted to like explore that in a deep way in, in, with a whole bunch of characters who make who are all presented with a moment of choice um whether it's a big one or a small one and then just looking at the aftermath of those choices oh I can't wait to read it (laughs) I am such a fan of your work Francine I mean I'm just and I'm the more I think about it and you know the more time that has passed as we continue to get to know each other I I just feel so grateful to have had that time, those experiences with you in February in person and, and to where we are now yeah. remaining connected and just hearing about your journey. It, I'm just really grateful. And, and it's, you've inspired some things in me to get back to my writing because I've been working on a book for, I'm not going to say for how long, but <laughs> now it's like, I need to get it done. <laughs> So you have, thank you for the motivation, the inspiration and the insight. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I think I also, don't you just hate that feeling of unfinished projects? (laughs) 
Yes. (laughs) And the growing list. And the growing list. Like one of the cleansing things I do is if I feel like that list is getting too long, I, I look at it for serious and then I just make a decision. I make a choice about what, what things are just never going to happen. You know, I have a, I have a real talk with Fran and I'm like, okay, Fran, I know you wanted this to happen, but it's been five years. Take it off your list. Take it off your mind. It's not going to happen. Move on. Oh, wow. Okay. I am going to borrow that. Yes. It's kind of like, um, you know how we declutter yeah, and you do spring cleaning. I love that idea when it comes also to, I love that idea when it comes to your list of, of things, projects or creative projects. Okay. I'm definitely going to borrow that because there are some projects that I have been pondering about and, you know, okay. And then you start to feel the guilt and then that gets heavy. And it's like, no, just Focus on what you can do and what you're willing to do right now. Yeah. And um, it's okay just to just to say bye, say goodbye to something. You know, it'll live on in your memory. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is not everybody has to know. <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing. Like, are you kidding? On my hard drive, on my computer, I have like 20 like started novels and, you know, and I could just be like, oh my gosh, I have so much to write. I have 20 novels to write. Or I could just be like, you know what? Those are really great ideas. And just leave it at that. Wow. <laughs> good, good job, Bren. <laughs> you had a really great idea. <laughs> we had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but let's move on to the one that I'm really excited about. And yes. Otherwise, you don't work on the one. You don't work on anything, right? Because you're too paralyzed. That's true. So, yes, because wow. um, I, I often get asked by people like, um, like, what is like one of your biggest advices or whatever to, to young writers? <laughs> like one of the things I say is like, finish something. Um, mm. uh, honestly, like if you want to have like a career, like if you're just writing for cathartic reasons, whatever, that's different. But if you're writing to actually have an actual career to make money off of it, to have it be your life well like I'm sorry to say but you're gonna have to finish something Um, yes and um once you finish it you're gonna have to you're gonna have to submit it somewhere like your work does no does doesn't do you any good when it comes to your career just sitting on your computer half finished like it just it won't do you any good that way so Mm. finish something pick one thing just finish it you know Wise words. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I, I had my like my thesis novel that was there. I had the short story collection. I had this poetry collection. And I was just, and then I had all these like, you know, 30 half started projects. And I was just like running, like just my mind was spinning. And I was always feeling like I could never do this. Like it was just felt so uncontrollable until I decided what was going to be first. I decided on the poetry collection. And I was like, no, I want this to be my first hello to the world. This is going to, this, this says so much about who I am. It explains where I come from. And I just feel like, like, especially when thinking about like an indigenous point of view, when you like, you know, when you like introduce yourself, you introduce yourself, your family, where you come from. So people can sort of know who you are, what your connections are. And so I, I was like, no, this book should come out first because this book is really talking about who I am, who my family is and where I come from. And it talks about my identity. And so if people have any questions about who I am or whatever, I'm like, you can just read the book. I put it out there as honestly as I could. 
So this is who I am and this is who I come from. Um, and so when I made that decision, I, I, it was so much easier because I could just put everything else into the background and focus on finishing and crafting one thing. And then, you know, that came out and then I decided, all right, I want to do my short story collection next because it's completely different than the poetry collection. It's a different tone. It's like my weird speculative fiction brain that is so much of who I am and I was like I feel like that voice needs to go out there next and then after that it will be my YA novel like my thesis novel like and, and once I thought about it like that my work and my life has been so much easier so. wow yeah <laughs> well you are on your way Francine I mean you are you're, you are a, a young person and young at heart, and yet you have so much rich experience about life and your understandings of yourself and the world around you. And I really respect that about you. And that's also why I, I was really enjoying our time in Banff and getting to know you, not only on an artistic realm, in an artistic realm, but also just personally, you know, and um, I, I can't wait to read your next book. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. It's very different. <laughs> so well, I, when I think of you, I think of like that jar full of ideas. You're just, <laughs> there's tons of ideas and there's tons of potential and there's tons of richness and it's just, okay, what are we going to pull out today? And that's going to be what we do and, and finish it. Like yeah. you said, I, I think that's some really important advice to give aspiring writers or those who are writing and who maybe feel stuck is, you know, or, or overwhelmed with, like you said, all those ideas, it's, you know what, okay, let's just pick something, let's finish it, commit to that. And, and then we can move to the next thing. Yeah. You know? Okay. So I want to know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious about the anthologies, boobs, women explore what it means to have breasts. Yeah. Tell me about that. That was a great anthology. So that came out with Caitlin Press, who also put out my poetry book on me. And Caitlin Press is an amazing press in uh, Vancouver Island. And um, so Boobs was a, an anthology. It was edited by my friend Ruth Daniel. And it's just a collection of, of women's voices and their experience with having breasts. So my story had to do with how when I was young, I developed rather large breasts very very early so in seventh grade uh, I was already a double d and so you can imagine that was pretty difficult at the time when nobody else around me had that and so I sort of had to deal with a lot of mocking a lot of shame around that a lot of adults you know they're so they can they were so like hurtful you know, because if I wore a t-shirt, it was automatically way more sexualized than if someone else did because, but I'm just a kid, right? Like, you know, um, so my, my essay was sort of just sort of exploring what it was like to grow up with just, yeah, being very developed at a very early age and other stories in the collection deal with, um, all sorts of things with breasts, not having breasts, like being born in a body that didn't have them or, um, uh, getting reconstruction or having cancer. Like it's a really cool collection. I would definitely suggest that anyone uh, who's interested should definitely read it. This concludes my conversation with Francine Cunningham. And remember to download part two.